Hey, this is Michael Dorinda. And this is Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode five of the North Meet South web podcast. Welcome back, guys. We are going to be talking about a couple things today. Pokemon Go, right out of the gate the tools that we're using in our day-to-day workflows, and then we're going to be talking about some exception handling in Laravel. So let's first talk about what's all on our minds, Pokemon Go. Michael, how's it going? What level are you at? Uh, I am trucking along towards level 16, I think, at the moment. Oh, jeez. Um, I'm behind. My my wife, her where she works is right next to both a gym and a Pokestop. So she just sits there all day when she remembers and just collects her items and fights for her gym and has a great time. And she has all these Pokemon that I've never seen. She is like two levels ahead of me and just likes to constantly remind me that she is the very best. That's hilarious. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm assuming she's probably never ran out of Pokeballs, huh? No, no. See, that's the challenge for me is at my house, I don't, there are Pokestops nearby, but not anywhere, you know, where I can just like sit there and spin the thing. Yeah. Is that what it's called, by the way? Is it a Pokestop? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we've ran out of Pokeballs a couple times. My, my little boy, I let him uh, throw the Pokeball to catch the Pokemon and 10 Pokeballs later, you know, we get a uh, Weedle, right? Like the easiest yeah. guy in the world to get or whatever. <laughs> uh, so we've had to spend a little bit of money. Uh, on refilling the Pokeballs, which is totally fine. But, man, we are having a great time. He loves it. He's just so excited to go to the park or go anywhere in the car. He always wants to be, have my phone and be looking for Pokemon on the way. And then he's like, I got one, I got one. And I'll slam on the brakes and stop traffic and catch a Pokemon. <laughs> so it's pretty awesome. fun. I think I'm at level 10 right now. Um, yeah. I've been, been able to get a couple decent ones. I don't honestly know which ones are rare and which ones are common. Uh, I just like the ones that look cool. So, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, so we're having a good time. But uh, yeah, I work with some guys who have gotten some really, really awesome ones. They're you know, uh, like you in the same boat, kidless, and they can just devote their time to Pokemon Go. So we've got a couple college campuses in town here, and they mm-hmm. are packed with Pokemon, with gyms, and with Pokestops. And so there are people all the time, you know, just just around. And I think they just kind of join the pack and. Get lots of Pokemon, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, I've I've seen heaps of videos on Twitter, obviously, of some of like just the rampage from different places, mostly over in the US. But there was a video the other day from the Sydney Opera House where there were just people camped out because a Charizard turned up, I think. So Seriously. that was pretty crazy. Down here, it's not too bad. And we went down for a walk for about an hour along the along the beach, and there's the foreshore. There's probably like five or six. Poker stops and you get down there and there's just lures set up and you just sit there and, and wait for Pokemon and use all your Pokeballs basically and your battery, of course. Yeah. And I've, I've got the one-two punch of running the iOS 10 beta and playing Pokemon so the battery goes very, very, very quickly. That's rough. I haven't downloaded the iOS beta yet. Um, I have some friends who have downloaded it. I think the messaging features are really cool. Mm. Some of the, the kind of animations and stuff. It seems like you can make your messages much more emotive. Um and kind of more expressive is like what you're trying to actually say. So it's kind of cool. I haven't done it yet just because I'm like, I've ruined so many Android phones, rooting them and getting the more, you know, the latest <laughs> um, operating system that I just 
when, since I've had an iPhone, I've just I don't do that anymore. Yeah, this one's been pretty solid as far as as far as betas go. I think the main issue earlier on they they sort of brought out the new redesigned simplified iTunes, you know, the music player, and they simplified it so much that they took out the shuffle button. Oops. I'm sitting there going, guys, you literally have a product called the iPod Shuffle. How can you not have a shuffle button? Yeah, big mistake. Mm. Um, I was going to say real quickly back to Pokemon that uh, where I'm working today, I work on Fridays, I work downtown, and there's quite a few Pokestops, so I ran around real quick before I came in and got a couple things. But on uh, one of the corners here, there's like a sign that says, this lure provided to you courtesy of this game shop that's across the road here. It's funny. So they'll that's set cool. up lures there every day, and people will come and hang out there and, and you know get Pokemon. That's yeah. a cool idea. It's pretty It's pretty neat. Like I think there's different businesses that will do that, You know, that will set them up on ones that are really close to their location, and people just come hang out. So it's, it's kind of neat. It's kind of driving cool. some... Um, some economy, I guess. I mean, yeah, the thing definitely. is making a couple million dollars a day. So, yeah. Well, I heard today that there's gonna they're gonna be a making a live action Pokemon film now. Like it's really? coming out, they're gonna start production next year, just like that. You know, you release a game after sort of being very quiet for a long period of time, and then turn around twenty billion dollars or whatever it was in a week or so, and now they're going, yeah, we'll just we'll make a movie. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's so hot right now. I mean, all these people who have never heard about it, you know, my kids have never heard about Pokemon, are all getting introduced to it, and you know they're all going to want to see the movie. Yeah, definitely. Strike while the iron's hot, man. That's right. Well, all the people that have never heard of it, but also people sort of my age that grew up with it yep. and have now got the money, and that they're at that right age where it's still nostalgic, and you can yep. afford the iPhones and Android devices to, to play on it. So it's like reliving that childhood where, you know, you finally can... A Pokemon Master out in the real world, not just on your on the Nintendo. It'll be interesting to see where this is at a year from now, and just where Pokemon Go is, and like what levels people are at, and kind of what new things they've introduced. I've heard that they're talking about introducing trading, which would be pretty mm-hmm. awesome if you could trade Pokemon. Yeah, that'd be pretty neat, especially with people because of the regional thing, right? Yeah, there's, there's Pokemon that that you guys get over there that we don't get over here, and vice versa. So that'd be pretty cool. I was curious to see if like what your most common Pokemon there are. Uh, Ekans. Ratata. Uh, What's what was manky. the first one you said? Ekans, like the snake one. Okay, yeah, we don't have that. I don't have that oh, one over okay. here. Like I've never seen that. I get lots of what, what's the the rat one? I get lots of those. Yeah, Ratata. Lots of um, the Weedles, the Caterpies, mm-hmm. Zubats. Yeah. yeah, yeah, tons of those. So anyway, <laughs> all right. Well, I think we have officially out talked ourselves from Pokemon Go. We're gonna kill it if we so. talk too much longer about that. So uh, let's move into our next section. We're gonna talk about tools a little bit, kind of some of the tools that we use in our daily workflow. Um, maybe a little bit inspired by Titan Co.'s new blog post. They put up kind of all the software that they use on a day-to-day basis, which was pretty neat. Um, I'm The kind of the tools that I listed here out for myself are a little bit different than that. It's not necessarily the tools I use for you know, the company that I work for, but more like the tools I use day-to-day and some of the tips that I've picked up along the way for ways to work a little bit faster. Uh, I'm going to let you start, though. Go ahead. What What are some of the tools that you've been using? My I, I spent basically my entire life now in Vim. I was a long-time Vim user. I never, never really understood the full sort of power that it gives you for a long time, and I went away to Sublime when that came out, used that for about a year, then went to PHP Storm and, and really got into that. But earlier this year, I sort of went back to Vim and really knuckled down and, and learned the ins and outs of using that and getting it properly integrated for developing PHP. And it's been super useful, especially 
spending time sort of SSHing into different servers and all of the servers obviously already have Vim installed on them. So it's nice to have a consistent or reasonably consistent environment for that. So that is my go-to IDE. If I need to do anything where I need sort of to do a lot more text manipulation or if I need to be able to have multiple cursors and things like that, I will still reach for Sublime. And very infrequently, if I'm doing sort of large-scale refactorings, I will jump into PHP Storm just because it's knowledge of code is much better than anything I've found in Vim. Uh, so that's that's text editors for development in general. Was predominantly Homestead. I have now in the last week or two since we last spoke about it, switched to Valet. I am using that pretty much for everything except for one project at work which requires uh, running some FFmpeg stuff so it's easier to sit that in a virtual machine then install that kind of stuff on my Mac. Yeah, I'm uh I just switched some of my uh production stuff from work over to Valet as well. You know, some long long running apps that we've had for a couple of years, switched those over to Valet. It's been nice though. It's been nice to not have to cuz before they were on MAMP, which no thank oh, yeah. you, you know, no. pretty much. So I switched those over to Valet and it's been it's been good to be able to be able to run those without having to run PHP Artisan Serve. Yep. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I just want to jump back to Vim real quick here for a second. Mm. So I've known enough of Vim to be dangerous, you know, but I've started following on Twitter Vim GIFs. Have yes. you do you follow them? Yeah, yeah, just recently. Oh, that's oh, it's incredible. The different things that they show you in in you know, I think their point is to show you that like in five keystrokes you can do things that would normally take you you know twenty five in something like PHP Storm. So it's been pretty cool. I, I'm not necessarily convinced that I'm going to go that way. I, I probably won't switch to Vim anytime soon just because I don't know that I have the time to invest in it to make it worth my time. Yeah. I end up using, I, you know, and I'm with you, I used Sublime for a while. Probably when I first started getting into real development stuff, that's what I use most. And the multiple cursors, you know, made a world of difference and used that all the time. I think one of the other favorite things when I first came into that was uh, the ability to duplicate lines. Command-Shift-D, used that all the time, of course. But yeah, I was a huge, huge, huge Sublime Text user. Very hesitantly switched, switched over to PHP Storm after hearing all the amazing things about it from, you know, Jeffrey Way and other guys who are in, in the Laravel space. And then as soon as I got into PHP Storm and had everything like set up exactly how I wanted it. It was all like a mass migration back to Sublime Text or Vim. So <laughs> I just can't win, but that's okay. I'm, I'm really happy with PHP Storm. I love that you can command click through definitions and things to get to the classes that they're referring to really quickly. I love that. And, you know, I've had some people complain that it's a little bit slow for them. I'm not sure if I just have a pretty decent machine or if the sizes of projects I'm running is a little bit smaller, but I've never really had that be a problem. Maybe a couple times. But it's not a big enough issue that it's that it's worth it for me to switch out. So Yeah, speed has usually been okay for me as well. It's more down to when you open it for the first time. Uh-huh. When you switch projects, I guess, and when it's indexing. Yeah. It's obviously pretty intensive, but obviously it needs to index so it does give you that, that in depth code knowledge so that you, you can control call command click on, on methods and class names and it will take you to the right place. Vim offers that. It will mostly take you to the right place, but sometimes you've got to sort of flick through and pick the actual right place, especially when you're resolving methods on the current object and things like that. It can be a bit bit iffy sometimes. And I think the other thing with Vim for me too is like it's just a huge, like it's a huge setup time probably, right? Like you want to start basically with a very vanilla Vim install and then yeah. kind of add, add plugins and things as you go. 
And I feel like just to build up that list of plugins and know how to use all that stuff would just take me yeah. an eternity. And a lot of it is going to be you'll install a plugin and you won't use it frequently, so you'll forget about it and then you'll remember it and then you have to go and look up the documentation again and find out what all the keyboard shortcuts are. So it's been six months for me now. I'm probably still configuring Vim a little bit. Still, oh, that's right, I installed this plugin, so what are the shortcuts to do that again? Yeah, it's the things that you use all the time, though, it really does speed up your life. Yeah, I'm sure that's the case. But that's the case with anything. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. It's true. The more I use PHP Storm, the better I get at it. I love refactoring with PHP Storm, you know, or just essentially writing almost like pseudocode. So this is what I want it to look like, so like this. And then I type the method out and then type the signature. And then I just kind of like do that in my head instead of writing comments to myself and then mm-hmm. and doing that. I just literally write the code I want to use. And then I just... I think I don't. I can't remember which. I I could do it if I had it in front of me, but it just you know offers to create the method for you, or you can select a block of text and say refactor to method, and it just pulls it out into a method. Yeah. Renaming across the project is really nice. So if I decide later that I want to rename a class, it's no big deal. It takes three seconds. Yeah. So I just feel like it offers me a lot of freedom. I don't have to worry about those things. I can just kind of get work done and then and refactor later, which is nice. Cool. So what are some of the other tools? Or I can actually. Yeah, you jump in. So let me yeah let me jump in here. So. We've talked about text editors. There's a couple of things I wanted to talk about. One of the things that really bothered me when I first came over to Mac from Windows was the lack of window management tools. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the people that I had learned from, uh, learned kind of Mac stuff from, their windows seemed to be always stacked all over on top of each other, and their desktop just looked super messy. And from me, coming from a Windows machine, my windows were always snapped left, snapped right, full screen, I, oh, there was never an inch of desktop space that was not being used by some window. Yeah. And so I found that really frustrating, and it was really difficult to manage those windows and put them into places manually. And so there's a couple different apps out there. The one that I'm using, using right now is called Moom, M-O-O-M. And it's really nice because you, if you've got keyboard shortcuts for snap left, snap right, snap top right, bottom left, you know. Uh, and then it actually moves between desktops as well. So I have multiple desktops open. And it will it'll move between those, which is really really helpful. So mm-hmm. that one I think Moom is about twenty bucks, but you can buy Spectacle or you can actually use Spectacles, which is another one that I found for free. Yeah. And that one's pretty decent too. I don't feel like the shortcuts are as good, and I don't know if they have environments that you can set up either. So Moom, for example, you can say, okay, take a snapshot of the windows where they're at right now. So I'll use PHP Storm, you know, my Chrome window, my whatever, my Markdown editor, and you can essentially save it as a snapshot and assign it to a shortcut so that when you start for the day, you just open all your programs and then hit your keyboard shortcut and everything's arranged exactly how you want. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I did use Moon for a while. I don't remember why I moved away from it, but I'm using Spectacle now. And I... I guess most of my stuff is just full screen, center, left, right. I don't do too much fancy stuff with my window manager. I'm quite content moving stuff between desktops to just drag the window. I I mean, you can go from left display to right display if you're using multiple displays, which is handy. But in terms of switching to another workspace, doesn't handle that. Wish it did, but it's a minor thing, I guess. I'm curious how you have your desktop kind of set up. I've got a very specific, like I have mine the exact same way every day. Always. Do you, do you do that as well? Or is it yeah. not that way? No, I've, I mean, I've pretty much got Vim or iTerm open on one screen and I've, on my left screen, if, if that's important to anyone. And I've got Chrome on the right and 
sort of SQL Pro kicks around in the background there as well. But most of my life is, yeah, iTerm, MacVim. So you do that full screen on your left on your left display? Yeah. And then full screen Chrome on your right display? Yep. Okay. And what size displays are you using? Uh, at work, I've got 24-inch displays. At home, they're 25s. Okay. Yeah, I... I, on my left monitor, so I have my laptop and then I have it hooked up to a Thunderbolt display. Mm-hmm. So on my left monitor, I always have Slack and iTerm open. So Slack open full screen, iTerm open half half screen, and it just kind of overlays on top of Slack. So I can see any alerts that are coming in and then you know switch to my command line interface anytime I need to. And then on my right display, which is my Thunderbolt display, it's a 27 and I've got Chrome half on the left half and then typically PHP Storm open on the right half. And then in my second desktop, so to the right of that large monitor, I have my email, I have my messages, and I have my telegram. So it's kind of like my communication desktop to the right of that, work desktop to the left, and then kind of miscellaneous on the other side. Yep. Uh, but it's like that every day, and it, it kind of it just helps me to almost categorize those things. I, I don't get distracted by the communication sort of things because it's on the other desktop. It just kind of helps me to focus that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the same. Slack. Slack an email in a in a separate desktop. Sometimes I will close Outlook because that's where we're a largely Windows shop at work. So I've got Outlook open a lot of the time. I, I as will well. just close it and forget to open it again, uh, which is pretty good, especially now that we've got uh, alert emails coming through. Not ideal way of doing things, but it means that you know things. When the alerts come up, they're pretty much in your face and you're dealing with them pretty much as soon as you get a spare moment, which is pretty good, I guess. Yeah. We've certainly, we've certainly picked up a few issues very early on and been able to deal with them before anyone's noticed, which has been really good for us. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, some of the other things I wanted to mention, when you're using Git, are you command line only or do you ever use a GUI? Uh, I do sometimes use the GitHub client. Okay. Usually, if I want, if I made a lot of changes and I want to, I want to be able to see them side by side, which files have changed. I can then more easily select this file, this file, this file, group that as a single commit, push that out with a single commit message that groups them all together in a sane way. And then, you know, so if I, I've made three or four distinct change sets, for example, and I forget to commit as I go, uh, this this allows me to do that. Most of the time, though, I'm using. I'll have to put it in the show notes what it's called specifically, um, but I use a plugin within Vim, and I've got some key bindings set up for that. So I pull up Git status, I can stage my files, run the commits from there, and even push it uh, upstream to GitHub or, or GitLab, depending on the project. Pretty easy. Yeah, I use I tend to use the terminal for anything that's just quick commits. When I'm making very small atomic changes, I'll just you do that. If I have a like a large feature that I'm working on. A lot of times I'm with you. I'll forget to commit. Kind of just get into my workflow and just go. And then it makes sense to pull it up into kind of a GUI editor. So the one that I use is source uh, source tree. Mm-hmm. And it's handy because you can call S tree from the command line and it will pop open a it'll pop open your that current repository into source tree. And the other thing that I like about it too is it hel- it helps to manage merge conflicts and then it also allows you to stage chunks of files so when you have a file open so let's say i've modified my class.php and there's two or three different methods that i've changed it allows you to look at just the 
chunks and say stage chunk or unstage chunk, or you can just select lines and say stage lines, which is pretty handy, especially when you're trying to make stuff really, really atomic. And you're trying yeah. to say this, only these changes apply to this commit. It makes yeah. it much easier to do that than I think if you do something like git commit dash P, I think yeah. is what it is, or git add dash P, git add patch. Yeah. That's pretty handy too, though. I just learned about that recently too. So that's been nice. But yeah. Oh yeah. One other thing that I wanted to mention that I use from iTerm as well is Sublime has a command line kind of extension mm-hmm. where you can call Sublime and then a text file and it'll pop it open in Sublime. Have you ever used that before? Yeah. 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 I so, used to use it all the time. I got even like even using the SUBL. Just I got too lazy for that and just aliased it to S. Yeah. So you know S enter and that will open the current directory or S and then file name and that'll open the that specific file. Yeah, and that can be really handy sometimes, especially if you just need to... I mean, Vim is just as handy if you're really good at it, but for those of us who aren't quite as savvy in Vim, that s.enter or whatever can be really helpful. We'll put that in the show notes. So there's some instructions. It's pretty easy. You just basically have to add a path, I think, and that's about it. Hmm. Okay, what else you got? Um, That's the main thing. Just back on Git as well, I wrote a blog post a little while ago around the Git workflow that we're using, or that we plan to use in at Hostworks and... In the last couple of weeks, I've actually had to do that regularly. We've got a, a couple more developers in. I've been managing releases for uh, code coming in for our, from our offshore team. So for anyone who happened to read that blog post, and I'll put a link in the show notes, just reporting back a month on that it does actually work and it works quite well. So I'm spending quite a lot of time jumping between GitHub and also Git on the command line because we manage all of the releases through a release branch and then the release branch gets has a pull request made against master and merged that way so that way we can do release candidates and things like that and push them out to our staging environments for uat and things like that for the for the customers and also for our own internal testing and it means that we don't have to worry about merge conflicts and and merging backwards and forwards between master and ending up with all kinds of nightmares that way so yeah there's there's a lot of hidden goodness in the command line client for sure. Yeah, I uh, I read the, some of that blog post and it is I feel super important to kind of have a consistent way that you manage your Git workflow, especially if you're in a multi-developer team like you are. I recently had to write a kind of document for our company, software development lifecycle, and it included basically what are the ways that we handle get how do we branch how do we prefix names how do we merge them do we always have to do a pull request what are the tests that are run when we do run a pull request i was going to write a blog post on that and maybe i'll have it up by the time that we get this show released yeah but just some documentation on how we do that and something you could give to your boss too i I'll, i have it in like a word document in pdf because we had to release it to some company that we're we're getting this new certification for our company, SOC 2 certification. So mm-hmm. have to have it all in these official documents, you know. So I'll, I'll release that too so that everybody can use it if they need it. Yeah. Yeah, we had to do a similar thing recently as well. Luckily, my boss managed most of that process. <laughs> nice. Yeah, mine is mine is uh, pretty amazing at that stuff. I'm not I'm not great at managing those processes. He just gives me the work to do and I say, yeah, sure, I'll take that. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to mention uh, was Node GH which is a really neat little node plugin that you can use for your command line and allows you to quickly access issues, pull requests, open up the repository that that or open up the GitHub repository that corresponds with the repository that you're currently in in your command line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really neat. You might you might check it out. You can well, the thing that I downloaded it for initially was 
if I want to create an issue real fast, because that's typically how we handle any feature requests, is we just make a quick issue for it, and yep. then we can, we'll mark it as priority or you know in progress or we're not going to do this. So I can easily, from my command line, instead of having to go to GitHub and then create a new issue and whatever, I can just, whatever repo I'm in, I just say ghis, quote, start typing, and it pops, it populates a new issue for me and creates it on the GitHub repo, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I've been using the um, the GitHub Hub tool, which is yeah. which is essentially the same thing, and one of them may be a fork of the other, I'm not sure, but I'll I'll check out no, no GH. But yeah, you're, you're right. It's much easier, especially if you're already in the terminal, to just use some kind of command line tool to go start up a new issue or even a pull request. Very handy. I love love spending time in there. Doing as much as I can in the command line makes life easier. You don't have to you know tab tab between windows and t- tabs. and. Absolutely correct. I'm totally with you on that. Last one, I promise. Rupa Z. Have you ever used this? So it's, no. it's essentially what you do is you type Z and then you type the name of the directory that you're looking to navigate to. So if you're like me, you probably have like a code folder that has like 100 projects in it. And one of them is named, you know, Project 1. One of them is named Project 2. One of them is called Test Whatever, right? You know the names of the folders. Typically, they're the names of the projects that you're working on. But it just takes a couple extra seconds to navigate to them. So you have to CD Web, CD Project 1, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then if you're in one of those projects and you want to use the same terminal window to get to, you have to CD out and then CD back in. With this, it basically monitors whatever folders and directories that you're CDing into and creates an index of those and gives them a score. So the one that you CD into the most will be at like the top of the list. So if I type Z and then I type project tab, it will show me any of the directories that I've navigated to with CD that match that kind of that match that string. And the nice thing is if you only have one that matches it, it will just navigate to that folder for you. So I just type, typically I type Z and then the project name, enter, and it will navigate me straight to that straight to that directory. And you can do that from any directory. So you just, you know, if I'm in a project, I can Z and then type another project name and it'll take me right to that one. I think we talked about this a while ago. Yeah. I think, yeah, I'll have to check that out as well. Yeah, really cool. Okay, well, that's all I've got for tools. Um the other thing we kind of wanted to, unless you had anything else, did you have anything else you want to talk about with tools? Uh, no, the only other thing, and there's a big debate going on about it, and I see that that um, they've redone the entire Laracon schedule around this, is uh, Wonderlist. So everyone <laughs> is giving a talk about Wonderlist at this year's <laughs> Laracon and why it is the best task management tool. I, I contest that. I, I used Wonderlist for a long time, then ended up not using any task apps and have now settled on Todoist, well, which we're using for the podcast. So, yeah, that's that's pretty handy. It gives you some of the features that, that Wonderlist doesn't. I believe they're paid features. So, But, I mean, some people may argue that, you know, if you if you want certain things, you should probably pay for them anyway. You've got better chance of that, that feature or that tool hanging around if you pay for it. I don't know. I, I just like Todoist. But I will happily listen to the Wonderlist conference talks. I'm in. I'm in the uh, boat that you were in a little while ago. I'm not using any specific task app right now. I have a big whiteboard in my office that I'm using, kind of as my task app. I think I like getting up out of my chair and going and writing on the board, and then when I'm done, yeah. going and like erasing that thing or checking it off. Physically so taking it off. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that feeling of checking it off. Yeah. So I like that. That's kind of what I've been using recently. I think we've got time for maybe one more item uh, on our list mm-hmm. here. 
So I'm going to pick here. Let's do exception handling in Laravel. So we talked a little bit about this before the show started. The issue that you guys were running into is when you have something that wouldn't necessarily be a 500 error or that something that you don't want to display to your user as a 500 error, you want to catch it and return something like a 405 or a 403 unauthorized or what have you. And so what way did you solve that? And what were some of the issues you were dealing with? Why, why were you getting some of these 500 errors? Yeah, so basically we made the cardinal sin of parsing out, uh, we're using Apache, so parsing out the Apache error logs for 500 error messages and then sending emails to our group email to say, we found a 500 error for this site in the log, someone should do something about it. And that's an interesting idea in theory. It certainly means that we're very proactive with, with fixing things because if we don't fix them reasonably quickly, then inboxes start to fill up and you sort of start creating filters to hide the problems and things like that. So it's been good from that perspective, but we did find that some of our Laravel apps were starting to generate 500 errors when probably they shouldn't. And when we started investigating it, what we found was that it wasn't that the Laravel apps were generating 500 errors specifically. It was the fact that exceptions were being generated and not caught by the application. So Laravel obviously throws that through its default error handler and returns that 500. So what was happening was we would have bots or malicious users or whatever trying to post to index.php or trying to post to register.php or or even trying to post to some of our Laravel apps at uh, at WordPress URLs. And so because those routes weren't configured as accepting posts and we're, and we're still using the LTS version of Laravel, so the CSRF was applied globally and that middleware check fires before any of the route checks are done. So what was happening was the post was coming in, Laravel detects that it is a post request, it was then triggering a token mismatch, we weren't catching the token mismatch, so that it was generating the 500, and, and on the production side, obviously, you just get the standard, whoops, uh, an error has occurred message. So we did a bit of digging, and we figured out that if we basically don't report the token mismatch exception, and then within the exception handler's report method, handle method, we would then check to see, do we ha- is the error an instance of token mismatch exception? If so, does a route exist for this? And we can use Laravel's route get routes match. And we say, does a, does a route match for this request? And what that will do is it will see, does a route exist for that request and a different verb? So, you know, is there a get request for this slash index um, or slash home? If there is, then return a 405 method not allowed. And if there isn't, then obviously return a 404 not found. And that then means that we are still returning, We're number one, we're returning appropriate error messages, but number two, we're not filling error logs with 500 errors that, that aren't really 500 errors. That's a really, that's a really good point. I know that even in, even in uh, instances where I've implemented something like Sentry or Rollbar, which are kind of error handling services, as soon as I like would deploy an app, you get all of these, you know, these hackers or whatever trying to hit these URLs that don't exist, and it does fill up these reporting tools with all of these. Now you can turn that off. You can say in Laravel, right? And if you if you're one of those folks who doesn't know what we're talking about when we're talking about this exception handler in Laravel, the handler class underneath app exceptions handler. And so in there, you can kind of fine tune what sort of exceptions you want to catch, what you want to do with them, how you want to report them, how you want to render them. So I remember that, anyway, I remember exactly what you're talking about being a large problem. I never really solved it. 
that sounds that sounds pretty clever how you guys handle that basically checking to see if there's a route that exists just at a different verb i really like that that's smart and then essentially just ignoring anything else that's trying to hit a route that doesn't even exist on your app yeah yeah that's that's really good cool well uh maybe you can write a blog post up on that for those of us who uh would like to use that as well that'd be really cool yeah it should have something out in it would be in the show notes i'll have it written before before this episode goes to air very cool all right, Michael. Well, I think we are about out of time. Let's see how we're we doing. Yeah, we're about 35 minutes, a little bit over. That's okay. No big deal. Uh, looking forward to meeting you IRL. Yeah. That sounds so bad. That sounds so nerdy. <laughs> looking forward to meeting you in real life at Laracon this year, next week on yes. Tuesday. So this should be, be really cool. Be good. Um, yeah. I will most likely be absolutely wrecked after flying for 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm sure. But I, but I looked, and the population of Louisville is about 250,000, so it should be a reasonably pleasant drive from the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not too bad. It's, it's, as long as there's no construction on the bridges, you should be good. Uh, great. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, great talking to you. Yeah, and uh, next time we speak, we'll be uh, face-to-face. Sounds good. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. See ya. Thanks for listening to our show. If you have any questions or comments or you have a suggestion for a future episode, you can reach us on Twitter at NorthSouthAudio or email podcast at NorthMeetSouth.audio. We're also on iTunes and your five-star ratings and reviews really help us to promote the show and let other potential listeners know we're doing a good job. Show notes for this episode can be found at NorthMeetSouth.audio forward slash five.